0: Two weeks ago, hard to believe it, two weeks ago we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. On Easter, we declared with countless communities of faith across the globe, he is risen, is risen is the gospel, is the good news that changes everything. As followers of Jesus, we testify, this is why we're here, we testify the message of the cross, the empty tomb for all those who believe is good news. It's the good news that all is forgiven. It's the good news that death is no longer to be feared. It's the good news that eternal life awaits us. This is what we say. But do our actions mirror our words? What does resurrection, gospel, what does resurrection look like in the here and now, in our everyday community? For the next four weeks, we are going to spend some time reflecting on a book of the Bible that, for me, answers these questions in a very practical and accessible way. And that book is the book of Philemon, or more appropriately, the letter to Philemon. Philemon is a letter the Apostle Paul writes not to a church, which was his custom, but to an individual, a man he previously discipled named Philemon. Paul writes to Philemon on behalf of a mutual party, a man named Onesimus. Onesimus is one of Philemon's slaves who has run away. Now, I want to say this as a disclaimer before we go any further. Even though slavery is the backdrop, part of the backdrop of this letter, I want to just prepare you. My intention is not to speak about the practical reality of this issue during this series. I will just say the following very, very briefly. First, we need to understand as we look at this letter, slavery in ancient Rome was not the same as it was in our own nation. In ancient Rome, slavery was not primarily a racial issue. Slavery was first and foremost a means to get manual labor done. And it didn't matter what color of your skin you were or anything else. It just was a matter of getting the work done. That being said, even though that difference is there, slavery is still slavery. And captivity in whatever form it takes is wrong and contrary to the vision of God's kingdom need to understand that, recognize we're saying that this morning. One last thing I'll say, just because it's a particular pet peeve of mine. Pet peeve isn't the right thing. I would say heartfelt concern of mine. Many people know this, some still don't, which shocks me. We exist at a time where slavery exists in more numbers now than it did when we learned about it in school. There are more people in slavery now, in the 21st century, than we learned about it being abolished in America and in England and in other places. As a brief aside, it, it, it actually keeps me up at night. It literally does. Because I find that people don't know, and even as a church as we do, we all just kind of go, oh well. And yet at the same time, we celebrate a history of Christians who fought for the abolition of slavery, and yet it exists in greater numbers than it ever has before. Something for us to pray about, talk about for another time. For this purpose, this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna consider the viewpoint of each of the three main people involved in this situation, in this letter. Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. And by looking at each of their perspectives through this letter, what I'm hoping is that together we're gonna gain some perspective from them about the impact of the gospel, about how resurrection changes things, how resurrection changes how we deal with each other. You see, you're going to get this in just a second as we start to read, but Philemon and Onesimus are at odds with each other. And socially, you can probably guess this Philemon and Onesimus are not of the same class or position. And yet, both are followers of Jesus. How does this, being followers of Jesus, the gospel, how does this change how they relate to each other? How does this change how they work things out? Let's read and find out. You're gonna hear this scripture a lot in the next couple of weeks. We're not gonna read the whole letter, and if you're looking for Philemon in your Bible, look fast, or you might miss it. It's on page 837, 25 verses. We're gonna read verses four through 21. If you have those Bibles open, and I hope you do, let's hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, "'I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, "'because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus "'and your love for all the saints.'" I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, And now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner... this is the word of the lord thanks be to god so let's look at this from the perspective today of onesimus here's the thing we can only speculate how onesimus became a slave we don't know we can only speculate uh early on in the roman empire most people came into slavery by being prisoners of war rome conquered you lost you became a slave By the time of the New Testament, most slavery in ancient Rome was due to being born into it. You were born into slavery. So Onesimus may have been a slave all of his life, born into it because of his parents' slavery. But it's also possible. Onesimus could have sold himself into slavery. This seems absurd to us, but very commonplace in ancient Rome, because if you couldn't provide for yourself, if you were struggling to make ends meet, you know what? Selling yourself into slavery put a roof over your head and a food on the table. And so for some, they even sold themselves into slavery to provide, as crazy as it sounds, a better life. Onesimus may have sold himself into slavery to improve the conditions of his life. Onesimus also could have become imprisoned uh, by his own foolish choices, made a lot of bad decisions that finally caught up to him, and was sold into slavery as a way of paying off the debt, tremendous debt that he had incurred. We don't know. We don't know how Onesimus became a slave. We don't know how many years he served as a slave But what we do know is somewhere along the way Onesimus decided to run. He looked for his window. He waited for his opportunity and then he bolted. He was gone. He became a fugitive. Onesimus decided to run and he ran all the way to Rome. You imagine Onesimus as a runaway was looking to get lost in the crowd. Big city. Rome, looking to get lost in the crowd, but if you picked up on it, he looked to get lost, but surprise, surprise, he ended up being found by the Lord. He ran into the Apostle Paul in prison. He went running, and he ran right into the Apostle Paul in prison. And you got to understand, he wasn't looking for this. If you're a fugitive, prison is the last place you want to be. And yet somehow the Holy Spirit led Onesimus to encounter Paul. More significantly, Onesimus the runaway ran headfirst into the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a fancy theological word for what happened here. You've heard me mention it before, but I'll say it again. That word is providence. Providence, it's a beautiful word. Providence is this idea that God leads us in the midst of our own plans and choices. God leads us to exactly where we need to be. And God does this a lot. Because it's providence, you see, by divine intervention that the lost are found. It's providence by divine intervention that the dead come back to life. It's providence, it's by divine intervention that Onesimus, the slave, becomes free. Free in Christ. Once again, we don't know exactly what Onesimus was like before he encountered Paul. We don't know. But what we do know is those who knew him saw a change that had taken place in his life. Onesimus became, in Christ, different than what he was before. As people looked upon his life, they could see this. You see, did you catch it in the letter? Paul is trying to reflect this back to Philemon, He's trying to reflect this truth back to him as he's trying to convince Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus, which is why he writes, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. Is Paul actually saying that prior to Christ, Onesimus was useless? No. It's a bit of hyperbole that Paul's using here. Paul Paul is certainly not saying that Onesimus was useless. I mean, just on practical terms, Onesimus in the days of his former, his former days of manual labor was clearly useful. He was productive for Philemon, hence the problem that he's gone, right? And yet in another way, all that work, all that productivity was only beneficial in the moment. All that work Paul's trying to draw out here that Onesimus had done prior as a slave, all that work amounted to nothing in the span of eternity. My friends, the Bible says that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Really? Nothing? Really, we can do nothing? Well, no. We can do some things, right? I mean, we we can do some good. Sure, sure. We can be of some use temporarily in the moment. But the key is, apart from Christ, Whatever we do doesn't last. Apart from Christ, if Jesus isn't in it, whatever we do doesn't last. And therefore, in the framework of eternity, the framework of forever, it is useless. Useless. But Paul writes, no, not anymore. This is the newly resurrected Onesimus. And the newly resurrected Onesimus is useful in an eternal sense. He's working for the kingdom. And if you paid attention, Paul gets specific about this too. How is Onesimus useful? He's useful because he's serving Jesus by helping Paul. It's real earthy and practical. Paul, remember, is in prison, right? And when you're confined to prison, your needs are great, especially if you're a man on a mission like Paul. Your needs are great, but your resources are scarce. And so in one sense, Onesimus helps Paul, serves Christ, by simply meeting Paul's immediate needs, helping to keep Paul fed, helping to keep him clothed, helping him equipped for tools to write with, to study. But it goes further than this. Paul couldn't go anywhere, right? So Onesimus becomes part of the team to send the letters that Paul is writing. He brings other people to Paul so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can be taught. He may even be a part of the follow-up work because Paul has to stay in prison, But Onesimus continues to be useful in another deeper way. Which Paul, you can hear the the emotion in the words, at least I do. Paul didn't get out much. Onesimus gave Paul encouragement. When Onesimus, when Paul, I'm sorry, felt isolated, Onesimus was his connection to the outside world. When Paul felt abandoned, Onesimus kept him company and kept him grounded. But if you, if you were listening, what I love about what Paul writes is he doesn't just say Onesimus has become useful in Christ to me. He says Onesimus has become useful in Christ to me and to you, Philemon. How's that work? How does the guy who used to work for me, who isn't here, useful when he's not working? When in fact he's probably embarrassing me. He's pro- I'm, you know, I, this is a big black eye I have because one of my slaves ran away. I love this. You, you, you may not have ever caught this before. If you've never studied this book before, let me get ready for this. I love, Paul doesn't just engage in hyperbole. Paul engages in what he writes here, a little wordplay. You see, Onesimus' name, that name Onesimus, was given to him by Philemon. Because that was common Roman custom. When an owner got a slave, the owner got to name the slave. So Onesimus is the name given to that guy by Philemon. Onesimus' name comes from a Greek word that means profitable. Or useful. Do you understand what Paul's doing right here? Paul is telling Philemon, the one you called profitable, useful, is now in Christ living into becoming true to the name you gave him. But it's even, it's even more nuanced than that. It's beautiful. What Paul is trying to tease out for Philemon is that in serving Paul, Onesimus is in a sense representing Philemon. Onesimus' work for Jesus is an extension of Philemon's work for Christ because they're partners. And that's why Paul says he's more useful to you now serving the advance of the gospel than he was doing all those tasks you had him doing before. Onesimus, the name. Onesimus, the servant. One sense, nothing's changed. Not his name, not his occupation, but what Paul wants Philemon to get, what we need to get, is in truth everything has changed. Because Onesimus is embracing his identity in Christ. He's living into his name and he's becoming useful. Onesimus is no longer a slave. He's not just doing his job out of obligation. Onesimus is a servant working out of his desire, his gratitude, his thanksgiving for Jesus. Beloved, Onesimus has come back from the dead, from a runaway slave always looking over his shoulder, living on borrowed time, waiting for his past to catch up with him, to a changed, resurrected man, a servant of Jesus, making a difference that lasts, doing work for the kingdom of God. We can all relate to Onesimus. We can all relate to Onesimus, can't we? Because once we were slaves, slaves to sin, once we were slaves, slaves to sin, our life apart from God. Once we were runaways, trying to run from our problems, trying to escape by denying the chains, the temptations, the snares wrapped all around us, until one day, like Onesimus, we ran into the message of the cross, until Jesus set us free, and through his resurrection, we came back from the dead. Is that not what we celebrated two weeks ago? Is that not what we believe? And I don't know about you, but when someone comes back from the dead, it ought to be noticeable. You think? When someone comes back from the dead, it ought to be noticeable. And you heard it. Paul wrote it. The change in Onesimus is visible. It leaves a mark. His transformation in Christ made an impression on others. How about us can others see the change jesus has made in our lives to say that we follow jesus is in one sense to declare we are different it's to tell others we believe in christ is to profess we have been changed we are being changed by the gospel And the scriptures tell us this is so. In in countless other letters that Paul writes outside of this one, Paul says, when you encounter Jesus, your nature is altered. When you are filled with the spirit of grace and truth, you receive, we receive new desires. Gone is our hostility towards God. Gone is our insecurity about ourselves. Gone is our fear of other people. Gone is our pursuit of sin. Gone is our bondage to old, damaging habits and patterns of life and present is our adoration for our father our self-confidence in christ our spirit-led compassionate love toward others beloved when jesus is in your life every single relationship we have is changed it's changed for the better in christ we become a better spouse In Christ, we become a better parent. In Christ, we become a better friend, a better worker, a better neighbor. And here's the deal. That change is readily apparent to others. It is always obvious. And when I say always obvious, I don't mean we're like putting neon on ourselves and going, hey, look at me, check me out. It's absolutely compelling. It's impossible not to see. We don't even have to talk about it. Right? People recognize, don't we, people recognize when a hateful person becomes loving. We notice that. People recognize when an angry person becomes joyful, when an anxious person becomes peaceful, when an impatient person becomes patient. We catch that, right? When a cruel person becomes kind. Others notice when a wicked person becomes good, when a fickle person becomes faithful, when a harsh person becomes gentle when an undisciplined and careless person becomes self-controlled, these particular qualities stand out, beloved, and they can be seen because according to another letter Paul wrote, a letter to the Galatians, these transformations are the fruit of the Spirit. These are the ways the Spirit of God works in the lives of those he changes. So I ask you again, are the people around us, seeing and tasting this fruit in our life? Has your life been so transformed by the Spirit of God other people would identify your love for Jesus through your service to them? I'm not talking, please hear me, I'm not talking about trying to win the approval or love of others by serving them. I'm talking about serving others out of your pursuit and love for Jesus coming back from the dead in Christ makes us useful for the kingdom are you useful think about your employer are you useful to your employer or is your work just a job you have to do is your work just a job you have to do or is it a calling What's the difference? A calling is when you recognize the place where you are is a place that God has put you. It's where you recognize that through the quality of the work you do where you are and the exposure you have and the way you treat others, you are sharing the salt and light of Jesus Christ. If you were with us last week, Pastor Tom Ashbrook, who preached to us, he was here in the early start of grace. And if you didn't hear this story at the breakfast, I'm going to share it with you now. This is a guy who was not a pastor at first. This is a guy like me, who served in business. He served in the aerospace industry. And early on, he was filling that tug, and the very first pastor he had, Pastor Larson, said incredibly wise words that are not just true for him, but are true for all of us. He said, you're not just called by God if you're a missionary or a pastor. You're called by God, and wherever you are, you need to understand and to pray about that the very specific place you are, the office the part of the aerospace industry you have access you have the ability to share Jesus to people i will never get to talk to see or touch are you useful are you useful in your neighborhood or the communities that you're a part of beloved the gospel spurs us to be more than just a face in the crowd people of the resurrection don't just lay low in their house or remain inactive in the background of a group. People who come back from the dead have a new identity. They become witnesses, the face of the risen Jesus, to the people they find themselves among. Are you embracing your identity? Are you living out of a sense of call? Coming back from the dead, Paul writes, in Christ, coming back from the dead in Christ makes us better than we were before. Think about your marriage. Are you a better spouse because of Jesus? Think about your parenting. Are you a better parent thanks to Jesus? And for all of us, as children, we all came from somewhere. As children, are we better sons and daughters because of Christ? My friends, if we're not different, if no one can see any discernible change Jesus has made in us, then we haven't been set free after all. We haven't been set free. We're still living with a slave mentality. We're living with a slave mentality. A slave mentality is when we live like a slave, even though the chains have been broken. A slave mentality is working and serving a master who no longer owns you. And I want to say this particularly to those of us out there who say, well, I, you know what, I've been a Christian all my life. I grew up in a Christian home, so I've, all my life I've always been a Christian. Don't shy away from the question I just asked, because even if we've called ourselves a Christian all our life, grown up in a Christian home, we can still be living with a slave mentality. Think about Onesimus for a second, Okay. It was customary at the time when this letter was written that the master of the house, and this is for family, servants, everybody, the master of the house, if that master took on a certain faith, everybody got converted to that faith. Everybody practiced that faith. So bear with me on this. Philemon, we know this from the letter, was discipled by Paul. He came to faith in Christ. When he did, more than likely his whole household then became Christian. And that would include, more than likely, Onesimus, his slave. Onesimus converted to being a Christian too, and yet what we hear in this letter is even though Onesimus was a Christian, he wasn't changed by the gospel until he encountered Paul and actually let Jesus set him free. Have you let Jesus set you free? Tell me you believe in Jesus. Amen. Have you let Jesus set you free? Or are we still living with us as a slave? What are you still a slave to? I know I'm not just talking to one person today. What are you still a slave to? Are you still enchained by resentment? Are you still enchained by a grudge you just keep nursing? Are you still bound up by a secret sin? Imprisoned by a hidden vice, an addiction you just can't let go of? What's still holding you in bondage? Oh you put on a good show but you haven't been changed on the outside you look free but on the inside you're still behind bars <laughs> It's just a couple of glasses of wine It's just a little flirtation it's just it's just a little affair It's just a little money under the table It's just a little more debt I'm racking up I can't pay It's just a little steam I'm blowing off when I get angry It's nothing serious. It's no big deal. It means nothing. You know, hey, hey, I can stop anytime I want to. But you don't stop. You try to run away. But no matter how far you run, it's still there, right? It's still there over your shoulder just over your shoulder, the allure, the temptation, oh man, the pleasure, that pleasure that comes with a hangover of regret and shame. If I'm talking to you today, and it's not me talking, stop running, stop running. Let yourself be found by Jesus. Come back from the dead and start living you don't have to be a slave to sin. You are free to be a servant of the King. Like Onesimus, we can be transformed by Jesus. We can live differently. We can live a better life. If we let the gospel inside of us, if we let it affect how we think, if we let it affect how we feel, if we let it affect how we respond, Like Onesimus, we can experience this incredible shift in our understanding of the God who created us. We can experience this incredible shift in our understanding of this life that we've been given. And this new outlook can bring us purpose and meaning, and we too can experience the joy of working for the kingdom of God by serving others. But make no mistake, change always takes us somewhere. Change always takes us somewhere. There's one final observation we need to make today about Onesimus. And it's this. Coming back from the dead for Onesimus meant facing his past. Can you imagine it in the midst of all the excitement of new life in Christ, all the usefulness for what he was serving Jesus by serving Paul? And then that day came. Can you picture this? If you've ever thought about it, if you've ever looked at this letter before, the day came when Paul sat Onesimus down and explained the power of the gospel isn't just limited to transforming our present. And so the context of this letter, if you didn't catch it by what Paul wrote, is Onesimus is carrying this letter Paul wrote on his behalf. He's making the long journey back to confront the former life he's run away from. He heads home to deal with the issue hanging over his life, to make amends and to try to reconcile things with Philemon. And Onesimus has taken a great risk in doing this. Great risk in doing this. He's potentially facing harsh consequences for what he's done. A severe beating, possibly. Literally being branded as a fugitive slave. Being sold to a new owner. Or at the very worst, being put to death as a runaway slave as a warning to others. Great risk. But once you've come back from the dead, what is there left for you to fear? Once you've come back from the dead... What is there left for you to fear? If our lives have been resurrected, if we've truly been set free by Christ, then we can trust Jesus to reconcile the whole of our lives. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to keep running from where we came from. And beloved, how many of us today, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us are still running, still hiding from our past? How many of us are stuck, stuck living only part of a new life? Part of a new life is not the whole of a new life. You know, well, we can be in the present. That's fine. We can be in the present. We, don't, we can look forward, but oh, no, we can't bear to look back. And, you know, maybe we've learned from our mistakes. That's good. Maybe we've learned from our mistakes, but we haven't yet found the courage to face and make amends for those mistakes. There is great risk in cleaning out our closet, isn't there? Whew. There's great risk in cleaning out our closet. We might have to clean some things up. We might have to throw some things out. We might have to give some things back. We might find the junk in our closet goes deeper than we thought. There's great risk, but there's even greater reward. Because as we all know, we are only as sick as our secrets. We are only as sick as our secrets. Many of us know this, and yet we continue to be sick with our secrets. Don't just say it, live it. We are only as sick as our secrets. There is so much freedom, so much more breathing room when we clear the air. And, and if you're petrified right now, I've preached this twice. This is my second time, and I'm nervous. I am. If you're hearing this and you're getting the shakes, if you're starting to sweat, not just because it's hot in here, please hear this. You're not going back alone. You're not going back alone. Jesus is going with you. Jesus is with you, guiding you, assuring you, carrying us, you carrying us through. And as you sit there and you go, that stone cannot be rolled away, Jesus says, I got no problem with that stone. I already rolled away the biggest stone there is. I can roll away any stone that's blocking your life. You are not going alone. Following Jesus means facing and releasing our demons. And in following Jesus and facing and releasing our demons, it breaks the chains that bind us. You know, that sometimes the hardest thing about coming back from the dead is convincing other people we came back from the dead. And I'm going to tell you right now, for others, perhaps the greatest evidence of our transformation in Christ is our courage and our willingness to make amends with those we've hurt or wronged? Have we let Jesus reconcile our past? And you're all here today, you're all like me, you're the best, you're all good people, but you all have a past, and I'm here to tell you your past ain't perfect. Nobody's known the trouble I've seen, nobody knows the troubles you've seen. You do not have a perfect past. Have you let that imperfect past be reconciled? by Christ? Or is there today a broken relationship? A bad experience? A huge mistake? A ghost from the past you're still running, you're still hiding from? Whatever it is, whoever it is, no matter how terrible it was, Hear this. We are only slaves to our past if we refuse to face and reconcile our past with Jesus. We are only slaves to our past if we refuse to face and reconcile our past with Jesus. The invitation this morning is for us to reevaluate, to evaluate our lives. Have we truly come back from the dead? Are we living better? Are we becoming more useful in serving others, being in Christ? Do others notice this transformation in us? Are you useful? Are you better? you open up your bulletin and pull out this card? The part where you can write something? And as I say this, I warn you, this may be the only thing I tell you to do this morning that you're actually going to listen to. Ignore the questions, though you could, they could be related. Because I don't want you to just hear this message this morning. Not that that's what we do. I want you to apply this message this morning. Do others notice the transformation that you've experienced in your life because of Jesus? Are you useful? Are you better? In Christ? First line, first open space. I want you this week to ask people these questions. I want you to ask people you trust. Ask them if they see Christ in you. Ask them if they see Christ transforming you for the better. And tell them to be honest. Do they see the change? Do they see Jesus in you? And if they say yes, ask them to be specific. What I want you to do right now, because I know you already have one, is write down the one name You can write more than one of the person you're going to ask, and the reason why you're not going to listen to me is because if you write it down, that means you have to do it. (laughs) I'm not going to see who is it. Who are you going to ask? I'm with you, and you think you think you you think I I I wrote this. I'm still running through names in my head. Beth? No, I'm not asking my wife. No, no, no. no. (laughs) I'll ask my kids. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm going to ask my kids. I'll ask one of you guys. No, I'm not asking you guys anything, uh-uh. I mean, my parents, no, nah, probably not a good idea. I'm going to find somebody in a grocery store, and I'm going to ask them. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. I know why you don't want to write down a name. Because you think, well, I don't need to ask people. I know. And if you're like me, you probably give yourself the same answer I do. Well, of course, yes. I've ch- of course you can see Jesus to me. Isn't it obvious? I mean, come on. Huh? Ask somebody. Somebody you trust, not a stranger in a grocery store. Ask somebody you trust. Ask them if they see Christ in you. Let's be real careful on this. Someone actually stopped me in the sermon and asked this question, so I'm going to address it. When you ask someone, do you see Christ in me? Typical answers are, well, you know, yeah, I see you wear a cross. you got a Bible. You're always telling me you're going to church. Yeah, I absolutely see Christ in you. Eh, That's not what I mean. Mm -mm. That's not seeing Christ in you. That means you do Jesus things. Nice. That's good. Do they see Christ in you? And part of it, which is inseparable, is if they see Christ in you, they will see changes that they'll go, That's not you. I know you. You usually have a quick temper and you're so calm. I know you. You're usually the most impatient person I've ever met and you're extremely patient. It can't be you, so it's got to be Jesus. Do people see Jesus in you and do they see that change? Ask them to be specific. And if that was hard, (laughs) get ready for the second one. (laughs) I asked you, is your past, is our past still a shadow that hangs over us? Or have we, with Jesus, reconciled where and what we've come from? Have we made amends with others as needed? I don't want you to just hear that question and just let it kind of sit there. I want you to step out in faith, and I want you to pick one piece of your past And every single person in this room, I guarantee it. When I spoke about this earlier and as I speak about it now, there's probably more than one thing you're thinking about. Pick one. One. One part of your past. A conversation that went bad. A situation that you just still remember. A moment that just blew up. Pick a piece of your past and go back and face it with Jesus. Now, I want to caution you on this. When I ask you to do this, I'm not telling you to go and pick something that's fresh. Something that is fresh is still healing. It's still raw. I'm talking about something in that closet that the statute of limitations passed a long time ago, but for you, it still feels like yesterday. You understand what I'm saying? Pick a piece of your past, and go back and face it with Jesus. And if it's necessary, make amends. Make amends. Now I'm going to give you one last thing on this. You may, you may, what you're, that piece of your past. That, by the way, I want you to write down on the card because if you don't write it down, you won't go there. That piece of your past may be something actual. It may be a physical person that you can go to. It may be an actual place that you can go back to. But I also want to acknowledge reconciling our past. You may not have a flesh and blood person you can go to. That person may have gone home to the Lord or, gone, or is no longer with us. You may not geographically be able to get to that place that you once were. So this can also be symbolic. And what that means is there's no part of our past, there's no part of your past that you can't go back to with Jesus. You may not be able to actually physically go there, but in your prayer life, you can go back there with Jesus. And so if you go back there and you feel the prompting to make amends, you may say, well, it's, if I have a person or a situation, I can make amends. But what if I'm dealing with somebody I can't engage anymore or a situation I can't go back to? Making amends is letting Jesus show you how to make amends symbolically. Making peace with your past. Oh, <laughs> If you didn't like this card before, (laughs) right? I mean, but beloved, we're not just playing games, right? We believe in Christ we have come back from the dead, right? But coming back from the dead is hard. Coming back from the dead isn't easy on our own. Let's just call it, it's impossible. But thanks to Jesus we can become resurrected people. If we allow ourselves not just to believe in the gospel, not just to do Jesus stuff, but to be changed by the gospel, to let Jesus have authority over our lives, our lives can become useful. We can become better in our relationships. We can face and reconcile our past without fear. And when we allow Jesus to bring these kinds of transformations in our lives, others notice. People see the difference. And when they see it, see Jesus in and through us, maybe they'll come back from the dead too. Amen.